0: Once upon a time, there was a young shepherd, a boy after God's own heart. He went from tending sheep to leading armies, from wearing a sword to wearing a crown. He was one of history's greatest kings, who committed one of history's most infamous murders. His rise built a kingdom, his fall. Tear it apart. Well, good morning. good morning. It's good to see you guys today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now from an offsite campus. In fact, this weekend, let's go green, all right? We will welcome those of you from the Greenville campus with uh, Ross and Misty. Uh, White, you guys at Greenville, give it up for them when you do that right now, all right they're doing it. Yeah, we love you too. And how about greensboro? we've got one of those too, and we'll give it up for Brett and Kerry Thompson. All right, Great job. love you guys. You guys have some awesome campus pastors. Wow, well, it's good to be here. Let, 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 let me tell you um, let me tell you about somebody I met just a couple of weeks ago. It was a dad, and he, I was doing some things with him, and he, and he was telling me about his son. He was so proud of his son. He was 18 years old, um, loves God, loves his family. He's a baseball player. He's going to college on a baseball scholarship, just graduated from high school. But there was one thing that was concerning for his dad. This kid was a Cubs fan. His dad knew I was. He wondered if I would talk to him, so I did. (laughs) Before I did, I asked his dad, I said, "How how did this come to be? He said, well, he said, you know, he's played baseball all of his life. And when he was in middle school, a very impressionable time, one of his coaches was a former Cubs minor league player. And from that moment forward, he became a big Cubs fan. He's got Cubs paraphernalia. In fact, when I saw the kid, he had a truck with a great big Cubs sticker in the window. And so I I, I walked up and I introduced myself and I said, Son, you seem like a great kid. Let me tell you about your future. I said, as a Cubs fan, you're headed for years and years of disappointment. Trust me, I'm a Cubs fan also. The Cubs are in a 103-year slump. Last time they were in the, mi- uh, in the minor leagues, I think they are in the minor leagues. Last, uh, last time they were in the World Series was 1908, 103 years. In fact, there are a lot of people that think that they cheated to get into that World Series. It's a long time. I said, son, you, you, you may want to change at some point. You may want to go with another team, but you won't be able to. It's your destiny once the bug bites you. You're through. You're toast. Maybe next year. 103 years long year, long time for a slump, isn't it? Well, you know what? Uh, you may not be in a baseball slump. You may, may not follow a losing team like I do. But uh, we get into slumps spiritually. Any of you ever been in a spiritual slump? For a season of time when you kind of feel, uh, you feel spiritually numb, you know? You feel like God's throwing curveballs and you're swinging with everything that you can, but He just seems so distant from you and you can't seem to connect at all. You, you, you feel like maybe you can't hear God. Maybe you never have heard God. And it it's frustrating to you when the preacher gets up and says, you know, you need to connect with the relationship or you need to be listening to God or hearing God or, or you hear people around you talk about how that they're hearing God or that, that they, they seem to be really in an in-tune relationship with God and you're frustrated because you say, I don't hear anything and I don't know that I ever have or maybe I haven't in a long time. You're in a spiritual slump. Maybe there's a sense of apathy or a lack of passion, or or maybe for you, life just seems hard. You know, you find yourself praying a lot of, God, make me happy prayers, you know, rather than, you you know, it's, it's not about taking a mountain for you, you feel like you're just trying to keep from getting buried where you are, and God, just help me to feel better or just to understand, or maybe... You feel desensitized to sin. You know, some things that used to bother you don't bother you uh, anymore. There's a lack of vision. There's a lack of direction. We all can probably relate. Here's what I know. Oftentimes when I talk to people who are in spiritual slumps, uh, there's just this kind of deal of, I, I, I understand where I am, but I don't have a clue about what to do to get out of this. It's frustrating. Well we're going to study the life of David. We've been studying the life of David all summer and this weekend we're going to uh, take a look at a spiritual slump. In fact an extended spiritual slump. It didn't last a century but it was about 16 months of David's life that he went through where he felt distant from God. He felt a lack of passion. He felt all of those things that we've talked about. And here's, here's what I'm glad of. I'm glad the Bible doesn't gloss over the characters. You know, it's not like a novel where they make everybody look good, you know, or a PR piece, I guess. PR piece. Because David is arguably the greatest king that the world has ever known. He's one of the key characters of the Bible, but he has flaws. He has stuff where he, he, he doesn't do the right thing. He doesn't feel, you know, the way that you would expect to biblical hero to feel and it talks about it, and I'm glad it does cuz I'm as normal as as the next guy you know and it gives me hope when I know that somebody who you know is is a leading character somebody who is a man after God's own heart as the New Testament describes David goes through some of the same stuff that you and I uh, go through we're going to we're going to take a look at how this spiritual slump started We're going to take a look at the consequences to him and those around him. And then we'll see uh, toward the end how he got out of it and moved on with his life. And hopefully it will help all of us uh, here. So here's what I want to do. I want to do this. We're going to study it in a minute. But I I want to make three observations of things that I think I know about spiritual slumps. And here's the first one. We all have them. We all have them. Here's the uh, good news if you're in a spiritual slump today you're in the right place because uh, hopefully you'll kind of learn some things and maybe be able to move through it. Uh, The bad news is if you're not in a spiritual slump, you probably will be. Uh, Hopefully not uh, as a result of this message, but um, we go in and out of them. We just do. That's life. Everybody has them. Look at what Jesus had to say. Jesus is having a talk in John 16, and I like to kind of characterize this talk as a similar talk that you'd have with your kids when... They're getting ready to go away to college, you know. It's kind of the last thing. You want to load up everything that you didn't do during the rest of their life in that last, you know, 10-minute talk. Or, Or maybe it's just before the kids get married or whatever. It's some season change. And Jesus knows that His season on earth is coming to an end. And so He gathers the disciples into a room. And He begins to teach them. Kind of some last minute, very important things. In John 16 and verse 33, he says this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Does anybody have a testimony on that? Is he telling the truth? He was telling his disciples, he said, you're going to have some stuff. I mean, it's a spiritual high being with me right now. But when I'm gone, there's going to be some times when you have troubles. And among the troubles will be spiritual slumps. And then over in James chapter 1 and verse 2, the scripture that we all laugh at because we have a hard time dealing with, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. Is that your first kind of reaction is when you have a trial or trouble is joy? No, not so much. But when we understand that we all go through stuff and that it's a normal part of life and that actually there is benefit to the trials and troubles that we go through, then we can kind of get a slight, at least a little bit closer to the to the joy deal. We all have them. You know, they, they usually follow or oftentimes they do spiritual highs. That's kind of the case for David here. He's, he, he's in a, uh, really, for his life so far, he's kind of in a good place. I mean, he's defeated Goliath. And he has been recognized by the king. Uh, now he's found out that's not such a good thing because the king now decides he's jealous of him and he wants to get rid of him. But as we've learned uh, last week's teaching, Joshua uh, taught about uh, as a kind of a, a victory, a spiritual high that David had when uh, he caught Saul actually in a cave. And I'm not going to use the words that Josh did. I'm just not going to, but he 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 wins a victory uh there in that he um, cuts just a little piece of Saul's garment without Saul knowing it. I don't know how that happened, and then he goes outside the cave and he kind of taunts Saul a little bit he said, "You know what if I would have wanted to kill you, i had every opportunity to do it And in that moment, Saul uh, recognizes um, David's destiny, and he says, "You know what you're right." I shouldn't be after you. I shouldn't be harassing you. You're going to be king someday. God has anointed you. So there's this major, major victory. And even in that, he moves from there into a spiritual slump. Um, For me, oftentimes they follow uh, spiritual highs. I I told you I go in and out of them just like you guys do. And... uh, usually I, they're pretty predictable for me right after uh, christmas or easter you know we have th- those are two days here in the life of the church and this life of the, you know the christian calendar that are just really big we put a lot of things into them and we aim at it and i can usually predict that uh that the day after easter i want to quit that's why we take monday off after easter is we don't want any resignations during that time and it's just like it's just like a cr- crash you know and because I can kind of predict it now, it's not such a big deal. You understand the feelings when you kind of know where, where they come from. For you it might have been, you know, following something significant spiritually in your life. Maybe you went on a mission trip. Maybe it's your first one and man, the bonding that goes on there and you see the hand of God and you see the power of God in ways that you haven't seen flowing through you and you're all excited and charged up and and you come home in that first week or two after the mission trip when two cultures collide, when you come from the culture that you've been in to the reality of the culture that you live in, and sometimes you can go into a spiritual slump. Or it may have happened at a retreat, you went to a retreat and there was this big spiritual high, and now it's not that way anymore. Or maybe you're a new believer and things changed for you and you were excited about it, and then. Maybe a month or two later, you kind of slide back into the routine of things. It's kind of like a sugar rush. Have you ever had one of those? Or am I the only one that does that? You know, you just just pound down some sugar and it feels great. And then boom, here's this crash in just a little, little while. That can be a spiritual slump. Sometimes they can happen just during regular seasons of life change. Normal passages, things like graduations or getting married or having kids. Some of you know what that's like. And some of you ladies feel guilty about that, that you've, God has blessed you with this wonderful baby that you had prayed for, and, and after it's here, and then you're kind of feeling this down, and why do I feel this way? It's kind of a natural part of life, the ebbs and flows, or maybe it's right after moving, or maybe it's just the normal kind of any birthday inning and zero. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where there can just be this slump, you know, this slump. Or they can just be absolutely random. Nothing has changed. Then you feel like you're stuck in a rut. You know, why do I feel this way? Or, or maybe you screw something up. Anybody ever screwed anything up in your life, made a major mistake? Maybe it was sin. Or, or or just a, a mistake in judgment somewhere. Or maybe you you feel like you took the wrong job. You, you you thought this is gonna be great and there's some things that you didn't like about the last place and this is gonna be good and you're in it and you've made a decision and now you're feeling like, well, at least the stuff that I had before I knew about, there's new stuff here, and you it's just a slump. You understand what I'm saying? Now how many of you are depressed right now? <laughs> or maybe you marry a second wife, like Abigail. And I, I'm I'm not meaning consecutively, I mean concurrently at the same time. you got two wives and David married one and it threw him into a slump. That doesn't work too well usually, nor does the telling of it. It's not all that funny. Um, Get used to it. Spiritual slumps happen. There's no way you can go through life without spending a little bit of time, at least in the pits. The concern is this. What do you do while you're there? What do you do while you're there? Because I know this. You can really mess your life up in a slump. You make some bad decisions there, some major league choices there, and you can set yourself back for a year, two years, five years. For some people, maybe even a lifetime. lifetime. So David spent 16 months of misery, compromise, and disobedience in the spiritual slump. Now there's something else that I know about spiritual slumps, and that's this. Uh, number two, they're, they're a result of spending too much time in your own head. Too much time in your own head. Uh, I'm going to read this verse, and I'm going to kind of take four segments of it, and we kind of see how that happened for David. The first part of it in 1 Samuel 27 and verse 1 says, But David kept thinking to himself. David kept, would you underline kept? He kept thinking to himself. How many of you know that sometimes brainstorming with yourself is not a good idea? Especially when you're in a spiritual slump. You know, we tend to craft illogical equations based on worst case scenarios. Anybody else done that? I mean, you've, you, you take the worst case possible of something you're you're kind of down anyway and then something happens and you and you just make this whole scenario that is an absolute worst case i read this week in the uh, paper actually about a woman from jacksonville two years ago and uh, she thought she saw an ad for her job in the uh, help wanted in, in the newspapers okay her job it was it and so, so she's. And the more she looks at it, the madder she gets, and upset. And I've given so much to this company; it was an architectural company. And so, finally, this worst-case scenario thing goes on. She gets so mad, she goes to the back end, sneaks in, takes a key, and destroys over two million dollars worth of plans in the place. Only to find out that that job wasn't hers. It they were advertising for something else that sounded just like her. So guess what happened? She got fired. And she spent some time in jail, okay? <laughs> because of that, because of that whole scenario she concocted. So, what did David think to himself? He kept thinking to himself, someday Saul is gonna get me. Really? That's inevitable. Someday Saul's gonna get me. Is that true? Well, let's think about it a minute. God had a plan for David. God's plan for David was that he be king, and he's not king yet. God had taken uh, an old prophet named Samuel that one of the reasons that he was born during that time and season. Did you know that God knows the times and seasons that everybody's going to be born? And there are specific purposes and things that you are born for. And one of the things that Samuel was born for was so that he could be a conduit of God's message to this shepherd boy, David, that you're going to be king. And so Samuel tells him he's going to be king. Not only Samuel, but David uh, comes into relationship with the current king's son, Jonathan. They have a spirit-born relationship that Sean taught you about two weeks ago. And Jonathan says to David, guess what? You're going to be king someday. Not only God and Samuel and Jonathan, but Saul himself, when he comes to his senses, he says to David, you're going to be king someday. God, Samuel, Jonathan, Saul, all convey the promise of God to him. You're going to be king. And yet David says, it's inevitable. Saul's going to get me. He's going to kill me. I will never be king what is he doing he's choosing to believe a lie have you ever have you ever done that have you ever had somebody send you a short text or email and you overanalyzed it and you thought "Well, i wonder what they're thinking and what they're saying and you had this whole scenario crafted and it ended up not being true and you wasted a bunch of emotional energy what was that that was too much time in your own head brainstorming with yourself. David ignored all the promises of God. He convinced himself he would never be king. And when you get down on yourself, here's what you're doing. You're ignoring the promises of God. Did you know God has promises for you? There's lots of them in the Bible. One of them is Ephesians 2 and verse 10 where Paul says, if you are in Christ, you are recreated in Christ to do good works. You are the Workmanship of God, the poem, God's poem is you. And He has created good works for you to walk in. Before the foundations of the earth, He created, He knew you were going to be, and He created you in such a way. And He has good works, good things left for you to do. And when you're down on yourself and you're in a spiritual slump, then you're doing the same thing David does. You're choosing not to believe the promises of God. Why do we get pessimistic? It's because our eyes are on ourselves and ourselves only. Listen to me with this because this is going to be profound for some of you. Did you know that God has never led you into a pessimistic thought? Did you know that? When you have a pessimistic thought about your finances, about yourself, about your family, about your work, about your job, a pessimistic thought, I can guarantee you God has not led you there. If it's a pessimistic thought, put horns on it, okay? Because that's who it's from. God is for you and He's not against you. See, they come from too much time in your own head and they can be devastating. Someday Saul is going to get me, he said. So, here's the next thing he says. The best thing for me to do is escape to the Philistines. Really? That's the best thing. Are Are you getting this? I thought to myself, Saul's going to get me, so the best choice I have right now is to defect and go over to the Philistines. Is that right? Let's think about that. You're going to go over to the enemy camp where they don't share your values. You're going to bring your wives, both of them, your kids, your men, all of their families to a completely different culture where they do not share the same values and you're not led by God to do that. It's just kind of your own deal. And so your kids are going to be confused growing up. You're never going to fit in. Just all kinds, if you just logic it out, but he doesn't because he's in a spiritual slump. And so he just thinks negative, negative thoughts. See, David needed a friend who would tell him the truth dude, don't go to the beach in a Speedo. Man, that doesn't look good on you. There's lots of European guys that need a friend that will tell them that really Okay, look at the next thing he says. Then, then he says, best thing for me to do is go over to the Philistines. Then Saul will stop hunting me and I will finally be safe. You know what? The first part of that's true. Saul will stop hunting me because he did but I will finally be safe? Mm, Not so much as you're going to find out in just a few minutes. And here's another principle there. The safe place is not always the God place. Okay, God had a plan for him. Spiritual slumps happen to us all. They're often the result of spending too much time in our head. They also, the third thing I know about them is that they impact the people around us. Look at the next verse. So David took his 600 men and their families and they went to live at Gath. Do you know where Gath was? Since I just got home from Israel, I know where everything was. You know where Gath was? You should know. Do you remember when we talked about David winning over Goliath? Where was Goliath from? Gath. And so he's going to the place of Goliath. He's going to the enemy city. He says, I'm going to go there and, uh, they, and take all my family under the protection of King Achish, who was a Philistine king. See, when you make bad decisions in the midst of a spiritual slump, you drag everybody down with you. Do you think you can compromise on stuff and it won't affect your family? See, Dad, Mom, we got to conquer it. We've got to face it. It's like giants. We've got to face them or else our kids are going to be left to clean up the mess and face them too. Your sinful choices and my sinful choices impact even the innocent ones around us. That's why you can't afford to stay in a spiritual slump. Yeah, they come, but you've got to learn to work yourself out of a spiritual slump. Now, I'm going to tell you how. But before I do, let me give you some background because we're covering chapter 27 through chapter 30, and I don't want to read the whole thing, so I'm going to tell you what happens. So it begins with, David says in his his head that... um, that, he's, that Saul's going to kill him. So he's got to go over to the Philistines and he takes his entire family with him. And what he does is he lives for a little bit of time in the town of King Achish of the, of the Philistines and then he uh, ultimately settles in a small Philistine village named Ziklag. While he's there, in order to kind of uh, confuse everybody and make them think that he actually is opposed to the Israelites and he's a Philistine, He takes his men on raids uh, into surrounding cities that are not Philistine cities, but they're not Philistine enemies. They're actually enemies of Israel. uh, Places like uh, the Amalekites live there. Say Amalekite together. Amalekite. Amalekite. We're going to bring that one up in just a few minutes. And some other, other people. And what he does is he goes and he raids these towns and he kills everybody in the town. Men, women, and children. Not because he's... Commanded by God because there's a higher purpose? Not at all. It's so that he can cover himself so that nobody from that town can come and tell the Philistine king, hey, we're some of the ones that David is killing because here's what David's telling the Philistine king. The Philistine king comes to him and says, who'd you raid today? And David says, I raided the Israelites. I went and wiped out a city of my fellow people because I, I hate them now. I'm for you. And so the Philistine king Thinks you know what David is going to be hated by his Jewish brethren. He'll always have to be faithful to me. But actually, what's happened is David is killing innocent people. When you're in a spiritual slump, if you stay there, you'll lie to cover your your tracks, and you'll find yourself doing stuff that you would never ever do. See, it's a, it's a it's a it, it's a terrible thing. And so and so at, at one point, the Philistine king. Uh, decides he's going to have this massive attack on Israel. He asks David to be a part of it. Now, this is going to be a real problem. I can imagine the turmoil that David goes through because he doesn't have a problem with the Israel people. He's got a problem with Saul. And the Philistine king thinks that he's actually on their side. And now he's going to have to go kill his own people or else be found out and be killed himself. But God comes to his rescue. Did you know that God cares for you even when you're in a spiritual slump? God loves you as much when you're down and distant from Him as He does when you're right up close because He cares for you. His love is unconditional. And so in this case, um, some of the other Philistines come and say, hey, we don't trust this David guy. We know who he is. I mean, li- listen to the chants of the people. They say Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands, and those ten thousands include some of our brothers. We're not going to war. We don't believe he really is who he said he is unless he doesn't go. And God uses that to spare David from making even a bigger mistake. Have you ever had God, when you're distant from him in a spiritual slump, save you from destroying yourself ultimately? See, sometimes God does that. And so, and so David and his people are, are sent home back to Ziklag. But on their way to Ziklag, they find that the Amalekites, who they have raided before, have now raided their town and burned it to the ground and taken their families. And I'll, I'll read there from 1 Samuel verse 30. It says, When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. I want you to feel the emotions of that. They come into this city. It's like you going home. You're on a business trip somewhere and you come home and the city has been destroyed. Perhaps like Joplin, Missouri was just recently a section of it. Only this is the whole city. All of your family is totally gone. For all you know, they're dead. Now we find out later that not a one of them was dead, they, they were just kidnapped and God restores them and returns them. But at this particular moment, everything's gone. And they begin to weep until they could weep no more. David's two wives, and I don't know how to pronounce their name, I'm sure they were fine women, but we're going to kind of jump past that, <laughs> were among those captured. David was now in serious trouble because his men were very bitter about losing their wives and children. And they began to talk of stoning him. David is in as low a place as he's ever been. Maybe he's ever going to be. Something has got to change. So how do you break out of a spiritual slump? Let me, let me give you three things that I saw from this story. First thing you've got to do is just decide that you're going to do something about it. Last part of that last verse, when they said they were going to stone him, it says this, verse 6. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength. David made a decision. He's at a decision point. He's got to do something. Now, he doesn't have to find strength in the Lord his God. When you're in a spiritual slump, you don't have to do that. There are other options. Here's what David could have done. He could have ran. He could have slipped out at night, just left. His family's gone anyway. The guys are going to stone him. He's already run to get away from Saul. He's been running all of his life. I'm just going to run. He could have done that. But he wouldn't have gotten peace from that. We know that ultimately he'd have to face the music again. But oftentimes that's what we do in a spiritual slump. We just run. We move. We change jobs. We change spouses. We we run rather than dealing with the issue and finding strength in the Lord is God. Second thing he could have done was kill himself. It was an option. And you know what? There are some of you that feel like that. There was a guy here last night that told us, you know, all day yesterday, that's all he thought about. was taking his own life because of the economy, because of stuff that was stacking up. And it is an option. It's something that you could do. If David would have done that, let me tell you what would have happened. His wives and his kids would have been devastated and impacted by that his entire life. And they would have been left to clean up the mess that came from that. I don't think it's a good option. I just don't think it's a good option. David chose not to do it. The third thing that he did, though, is he chose to strengthen himself in the Lord. And when he did, we see the story of David changing from this moment forward. We see the story of his... This is a crucial, crucial moment in the story of David. When he said, you know what? I'm going to do something. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. How do you do that? How do you do that you know i wish it said here's one two three things that david did here but it does it gives a couple of things and we'll study them but it does give us the bible does give us some clues because this is not the only you know kind of picture into david's life in fact david wrote an entire book called the psalms are you familiar with that have you heard of that yeah and in the psalms david deals with times i I said that you go in and out of spiritual slumps hopefully you're in a spiritual high longer than you're in a spiritual slump Well, David is so honest in his journaling and his writing that we find, especially in Psalm chapter 73, kind of the picture of how he went into a spiritual slump and what he did to get out of it in another situation. And I I want to read just a little bit of that. Psalm 73 in verse one, it says, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. It's interesting. He says, here's the truth. God is good. Do it with me, all the time. Say it again. God is good all the time. That's the truth. That's the truth. And in this psalm, he says, truly, God is good to Israel. But, how many of you know butts are big? <laughs> but, oh, come on. <laughs> Get your minds out of the gutter there's a big but here but as for me i came so close to the edge of the cliff my feet were slipping and i was almost gone why because he failed to believe that truth he looked around here's what he says for i envied the proud and i saw them prosper despite their wickedness have you ever done that If you ever looked around you go, God is good. I know God is good. Well, really he isn't because I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm busting myself to do it. And I look over here and here's somebody that doesn't care about God, doesn't have the morals that I have, cuts corners and sails, does all that. And they're getting it all. And your attitude just goes right to the toilet. And you go into a spiritual slump. And that's what happened to David. He said, I almost fell off the cliff. He goes on in this psalm and he says, I was believing a lie. God isn't good. God doesn't protect. Then I came to my senses in Psalm 73 and verse 21. It says, Then I realized how bitter I had become. You know, when you're in a spiritual slump and you don't trust that God is good and you see the blessings of God in someone else or someplace else besides where you are, you become bitter. And usually, this is, you know, 30 years plus of ministry for me. This is what I've discovered. You're usually the last one to find it out. The last one to see it. Usually you need somebody else to say, dude, you're bitter. And you go, no, I am not. <laughs> you're a little edgy there. I think you might be a, just a tiny, just a little rude, a bit. No, I'm not bitter. I've forgiven. Really. David came to his senses. I realized. How bitter I had become. How pained I had been by all I had seen. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet, I still belong to you. And you're holding my right hand. That's a picture of how God cares about you. It's like, (laughs) we'll go out with our grandkids. You know, we have like 43 of them and they're all the same size. And there's always at least one emotional meltdown. There's a spiritual slump going on in our house all the time. You'll have one of these little ones and you know, they'll spit in your eye. I don't, want, I don't like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do? Come on. I know what your issue is. You know, I don't care what you're saying. You don't really mean. That's God. I hate you, God. Yeah, you don't either. Come on. Let's get through this. That's what, that's what David's saying here. Yet I still belong to you, and you're holding my right hand. I can see it's a little picture of a little grandkid. Okay, all right. You will keep on guiding me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. David came to his senses. He saw his bitterness, and he saw what? His destiny. And it doesn't say this in 1 Samuel, but I believe David at Ziklag looks around, and probably says something like this, this doesn't reflect God's destiny for me. This running, this lying, this doing stuff that I would never normally do, the deceit and all the stuff that's going on and now my kids and everybody's gone. This is, doesn't reflect God's destiny for me. I'm a king in waiting and I'm not acting like one. See, it's easy to forget your destiny and your dream when you're in a spiritual slump. It usually takes tough circumstances backing you up into a wall for you to come to the point of change. Can I talk to you here this morning just a minute, here and at the campuses? If you're in a spiritual slump, I challenge you to take a look around at your life right now and ask yourself a question. Does my life currently reflect the destiny that God has called me to? Does it? If not, then you need to decide to do something about it. That's the beginning point. Don't run. Don't take your own life. Don't take another way out. Just decide, you know what? I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. I'm going to do something about it. So how did he do that? Here's the second thing. You've got to get a fresh word from God. You need a fresh word from God. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 7, it says, Then he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring me the ephod. What's an ephod? An ephod was this little pouch thing that a priest wore that in it, it had, um, a lot of people believe it had two jewels. Uh, one that meant yes, two that meant no. It was kind of like flipping a coin. And and when they wanted to know, it was the Old Testament way, when they wanted to know the will of God, they'd go to the priest, the priest would reach in, and one of those stones would make itself obvious and evident, and that was the will of, That was a, a yes from God. So he goes to the priest, bringing the ephod, so... Abiathar, the priest, brought it. And then David asked the Lord, Should I chase them? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him. I don't know exactly how. But the Lord told him, Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So how do you get a fresh word from God? First of all, you hang out in the places where God is likely to speak. David went to the priest, Abiathar. That's not what he did before. Remember the very beginning of this? He said to himself, now he goes, maybe I ought to check and see what God's saying. And so, so he goes to the place where God hangs out. I remember when I was dating Debbie. Well, actually, before I was dating her. And when I wanted to talk to her, I'd go to the places where I thought she'd hang out. If you guys ever do any of that? you know, Oh, you happen to be here. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> go where God is. Where is God likely to speak to you? Through his word. Through His Word, you could flip a coin like David did. It's not as effective these days, because now we have two things that David didn't. We have the completed Word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so you go to His Word. And you say, "Well, how does God speak to you through His Word?" S- sometimes you'll be reading, and something will just kind of jump out at you. Better yet, ask a question. Ask a direct question like David did. He said, "Will you? Should I?" And sometimes, if you'll just... If, even before you sit down to read, and let me tell you a good place to read if you if you don't you know you're looking for wisdom or whatever, just start in the Proverbs. Just read the Proverbs. You can't read very long in the Proverbs without something jumping out and wisdom from God coming. And ask a specific question. Say, God, should I? Do, do I need to do this? Ask a question. Read God's word, or you go to a quiet place. You know, it's hard to hear God with the bachelor on in the background. And so, and so, go to a room or. Take a walk and do the same thing. Ask God a question. Go on a retreat. You're in the right place right now to break a spiritual slump. You're, God speaks in the church. Every once in a while, I will slip up and allow God to speak through me. And it actually, you know, people actually get wisdom from God on that. David ask a question. I challenge you to ask a question. And then and then as as you're listening to that, as you're trying to hear God's word. Here's kind of a process that we're learning for that. Three things. Just kind of observe, reflect, and discuss. Observe, what is God saying to me right now? Let's reflect on why He might be saying that to me. And then importantly, let's find some people to run this through, to discuss it just a little bit, so that it's not just you acting on bad burritos. You understand what I'm saying? Where somebody that loves you can say, you know, dude, what, you know, that, that doesn't sound like God's word to you. Or, hey, that may very well be God's word. Let's talk about it just a little bit. Notice real quickly God's answer to David, he says, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that God has taken from you. You know what? In a spiritual slump, you can lose a lot. Would you agree with that? But God is all about restoration and recovery. And God, I, I think that's just a word for somebody here today. You may be in a spiritual slump. You may have lost a lot. And God says, you know what? I want to restore. Because God, God uh, wants your spiritual vitality more than you do. He is for your success. So decide to do something. Get a fresh word from God. Let me give you the third thing real quick. Act in faith. Act in faith. So David and his 600 men set out. And they soon came to Besor the brook. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with his 400 remaining troops. Just one word from there, and he goes, and the end of the story is that he wins a victory. But just a real quick story, just a real quick thought anyway. Just because God assures you the victory doesn't mean it's going to be an easy win. In fact, if you read this passage, there's references to exhaustion. 200 guys quit because they were exhausted. There's references to a lot of hard work. It's a 24-hour battle. From sundown one night to sundown the next night. It's just exhausting. When you act in faith, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And some people, they, they quit when it gets tough. So, say, God must not be in this. Why does God give us victories that require blood, sweat, and tears? Let me, let me tell you why. Because God loves to multitask. He wants to do two things at one time. He wants to give you the victory, but He wants to improve you in the process see what comes out of the battle isn't necessarily as important as who comes out of the battle and in this battle god worked a victory through david but he worked it in david and this is the beginning point of this transition that david goes from being a king in waiting to being a man who truly is a man after God's own heart. And so, and so we're going to respond to God. And, and here's what I know. I know there are some of you here and in the campuses who are in a spiritual slump right now. For some of you, it's just a little thing and you, and you understand kind of the ripple effects of life. For others of you, you've been in a spiritual slump for an extended amount of time. Some of you have made poor decisions that's impacted your life. And I talked to somebody last night who said they cried through the entire message because they just saw a picture of themselves. Well, I want to tell you good news. If you will decide to do something about it, if you'll press in and get a fresh word from God, and then you will act on God's word, which what what does acting mean? Acting means, okay, I'm going to do something about it. Get a plan. Get a plan. Here's what I'm going to do. Don't rush out. Get a plan. Become accountable for your plan or else you'll never get it done. And then take the first step, next step, whatever it happens to be. If you'll do that, then God will be faithful to restore, to recover that which was lost. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for these stories of normal people like those of us who are sitting here who go through everyday things and life hasn't changed much in the last 4,000 years. God, I pray for those precious people that are here today who feel like they're going through a spiritual slump. God, this is going to be a day of recovery and restoration. Father, I pray that you would uh, just move on us to act with integrity and honesty as we Listen to you and try to hear what are you saying and then respond with what we're going to do about it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.